host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast. Today, I have a special guest fellow Apex member and long-term recovery person. Sarah Benson here is one of my favorites. We had done this before and due to my technically challenged person I am, we'll get to do this again and it's going to be great. So I'm so glad that you can do the show again with me, Sarah. I mean, we've gotten to know each other in the last few months really, really well. We both support each other because we're on the same mission to help. You know, it might be a little bit different because you help the youth and I help the adults, but it's still the same thing. We're trying to help as many people as we can overcome their challenges, like whether it's addiction, eating disorder, anxiety, depression, whatever the challenge may be. So thank you for coming on and, and doing the show with me. What I like to do is have you introduce yourself and let people know exactly who you are and what you do. Awesome. Thank you so much. Sorry, I had to put in this noise <laughs> outside. I can't hear anything. So Max, it is such an honor to be able to get to do this again. I know. <laughs> you lost it because you and I could talk for hours about all of this amazing work that we're looking at growing and doing and living in vision. It's just such a beautiful space to be. And I appreciate the work that you do and how you show up for all of us. So um, as Max said, my name is Sarah Vincent, and I'm currently a sober coach and a family performance coach, but much more beyond that. I have been working with youth for the better part of 30 years. Um, I have 31 years clean and sober myself, and I'm actually a drug and alcohol counselor, a certified recovery mentor, and a QMHA. But the space of working with youth has just been on my heart because of my own story and my own journey. And then lately, I've been working with adults. Like I said, I've, I've been fortunate enough to partner with a gentleman named Cody Rain, who has a program called Beyond Sober. And I am the sober coach, female sober coach for that program. And it has just opened up this beautiful world of working with adults that I have not um, navigated into before. And so I absolutely love being able to learn and grow from my clients and learn what their really their needs are and how to best support them. And, you know, it's it's at all levels. I love working with the youth because I'm like, okay, let's let's get them now before they get into the adult system, you know, shift any of that. Um, but at times as adults, there's a lot bigger consequences. There's a lot bigger, more palpable consequences. And so they may be a little bit more motivated to change, you know, whatever that dynamic looks like. So for me, being able to help, you know, adults, youth and the family unit, is just a really important piece of my mission. And like I said, just like, I cannot tell you the doors that have been open. You have led me to an amazing opportunity, speaking opportunity. Um, and there's just so many other things that are in the works for, for my vision of my nonprofit and my vision of helping our communities. It's been phenomenal. So 
So that's why we connected on such a deeper level, right? We understand that addiction is not just an individual thing where you say, here, I'm dropping off Junior for 90 days, fix him, and we'll be back to pick him up. And you are like me. You're going to probably like fall out of your seat and go, wait, 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 wait. That's not how that works here. That's not how this works. You know, whatever your thought on addiction is, right? But you and I know it's a family disease. It affects everyone around you, right? And I've been through my, like the most severe consequence that I'd like to say, it didn't happen to me, but like having my brother, right, commit suicide because of his addiction, right? And he lost his battle. Like you don't understand, like some people don't get that that has such a ripple effect that it affects the family for years and years and years. Because I can be fine, right? And you know, you could be driving, you hear a song that reminds me of my brother. And then all of a sudden I'm crying like a little baby, you know what I mean? Because it still hurts, right? Because you get in your head, like why as his brother and someone in recovery for multiple years, why didn't he reach out to me? You know, those questions we ask ourselves. And that's what like you and I are trying to do with these families is let them understand. It's like, you just don't send, you know, your teenage daughter or son to treatment. And then it's going to be all peaches and creams and, you know, roses when they get home. That work just to me, it's just beginning, right? So, so share with the audience, like what that might look like, because you and I understand that it's going to take a village to not only help that person stay sober, but to heal the family. You know what I mean? Let them know what that oh, looks like. It, that is such a, there's so much volume in what you just said. And there's so much to unpack. And my little brain is going because I'm very big research. I'm very big into epigenetics and neuroscience because I have been, like I said, working with this population. I worked at a facility for about five years that was more behavioral and a lot. And I ran the physical education program. I developed all these things. And I realized there's this huge disconnect with brain and body with these kids. Like I would tell them to do something or, you know, and they literally, and I'm like, are they just being defiant little shits? And then as I got (laughs) and learned more, I just dove into it. Cause if I don't understand how their brain works. I can't coach to that. I can't support a family system. And so then it just got me going into all the things, you know, like one of the things you mentioned, the survivor's guilt, like that is a huge thing. And you see what you see is this becomes in the DNA and the fibers of families. It is a genetic and epigenetic epidemic that is being passed down. Like my overarching goal is to end generational poverty and addiction. And because you see these things. So if you have a massive loss in a family and the family never heals or they turn to drugs, now you have this massive coping skill that is literally passed down generation to generation because that's your, now your stress response. You're constantly on fight or flight. And we literally pass that down, that stress from from generation to generation. So by understanding that, okay, well, how do we stop these cycles? It's not stopping drugs or booze or porn or any of that. Of course, that's the outcome, the root of this. And like I said, for me, research is just, it's really imperative because you and I both worked in the system. We've been at facilities. They need their metrics. They need evidence-based, blah, 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 right? Right. And we have to make sure that we understand that and go along with some of the guidelines when we're working in these facilities But one of the biggest indicators of youth coming out of addiction or being a really functional member of society is parent involvement and mentorship. So those are two huge things. And you just, you don't see that 
piece of it addressed outside maybe of the bubble of rehab or continuing into, um, you know, into the home. And one of my programs that I work with families and youth, uh, my goal is to, Hey, 30 days before your kid leaves treatment, I'm going to work with the family at their house. I'm going to work with the kid in treatment. And then once the child comes home, we're going to work together for another 60, 90 days minimum. You know, and the thing is with these facilities, there's insurance. And what I just, I have such a hard time wrapping around, Oh, they'll, they'll approve 30 days. You know, and that's nobody's fault. That's our shitty insurance system. And then you see the recidivism through the roof with youth and adults. It's across the, you know, it's across the board. board. It is. And what happens is we pass on these generational trauma. You know, there's a saying that says, don't cut on those that didn't bleed. Or excuse me, don't bleed on those that didn't cut you. And it's like, we just keep passing this down. And, you know, and so it's really important that we address it at the parental level, at that level, at the adult level. But it's also, you know, imperative that we get to the youth, hopefully before they get into the adult system. But with a long-term program, with long-term care, it is individual. A lot of the teens I work with, unfortunately, aren't developmentally 17 or 18. I'm developmentally dealing with kids that are 12, 13, 14. Some kids can't even read and write at a Dr. Seuss level. So having an expectation of that child to go through 60 days of rehab and come out and be fucking roses and unicorns at home is (laughs) extremely unrealistic. And it's not fair. It's a huge setup for failure. You know, so again, I think we're, and you and I have talked about this at a pivotal point in this space, in the recovery addiction field to do something different, to shake up the system, to show proven models that actually work from those of us who have been there, done that, lived it. And okay, what can we do to actually create sustainable change within the entire family? You know? Absolutely. And and you're correct because we know we've been doing this for such a long time. Like we know because statistics have proven it. Long-term treatment works like these 28, 30 days. Cause you got to understand if you get in someone, whether it's a teen or an adult that's been using for quite a long time. Right. And now a days you have this fentanyl, right. Which is worse, <laughs> 10 times worse than heroin. Yep. You got to imagine. So say 30 days, two weeks of that is probably going to be detox for them to even be able to think straight. So then you're going to have them for another two weeks and go, okay, I got to try to teach this person the tools they need to stay sober and then send them home. We know that. It's (laughs) It's like, yeah. It sounds ludicrous. Yeah. yeah, You know, and you're right. The the insurance, but see, here's the thing. Like I'll I'll be the devil's advocate, right? So a lot of it has to do with the industry, right? And what they have allowed Mm -hmm. and not allowed, right? And you've experienced, I know I do, sometimes treatment is a revolving door. They'll let them come back 5, 10, 15, 20 times. And it's like, wait, now we're not helping them, right? Nope. Now we're just as bad as the parent or the loved one who's the enabler, right? And we talk yep. about codependency and treatment and what that looks like. And, you know, and, you know, I've worked at some very good places, thank God, right, that, that addressed all that stuff. But like, here's my example. So I had a client, right, where I worked at um, Hogue Hospital a while back like five years ago, maybe even longer now, but they had a really great family program, right? So once you finish detox and uh, residential, once you hit the other levels of care, you were, it was mandatory that you attend family week for four days, right? Where they did all kinds of stuff with one, not only to educate the families on like, this is what you're going to have to do once they come home, because, and I remember walking with this client, right? Tuesday, I would go in and share a little bit about my story and how my addiction affected my family, right? Why it's important that we're happy that you're here. And this is what needs to continue when your loved one comes home. This guy, right? We walk out and he's like, well, like, why can't my son just say no? I said, well, it doesn't work that way. 
right? And the guy's pretty big. You know, I'm like, I'm looking up at him. He's, a, you know, a big guy. So I said, okay, sir, I'm going to give you an example. Let me see, put it this to you. Here's addiction, right? So, you know, we have Amtrak around here and he's all, yeah. And I said, I want you to go to the local Amtrak yard. And I go, I want you to let a train come at you at five miles an hour, put your hand up and stop it. And he goes, I can't. I go, and I'm talking, it's just one part of the train. He goes, no, it'll run me over. I said, okay, now put it this way. You know what the bullet train is in Japan. And he's like, yeah, that's not the fastest train. I go, well, that's your son's addiction on overdrive. Now try to stop that. And he goes, I get it. You yeah. got it. You know what I mean? He, I go, that's, you know, that's your son's addiction in full flight. Like you, there's nothing that's going to stop it. So here's where, and we had a conversation, but he, he finally, like, it isn't about, I can stop or willpower, right? Because, right, we all have these, you know, whatever trains of thought out there, you know, some of it is that you can make a choice, that addiction's a choice. Of course it is, right? Like you and I know that we have a choice to use or not to use, right? But if we right. decided to take that first drink or drug, we're done, right? Done. It doesn't done. matter if you have 31 years. It doesn't matter if nope. I have almost 18 years. That choice is gone, right? Because- yes. Not only does the mental obsession overtake us, the physical will, and then it's just, it's a shit show, right? So that's so why I love connecting with Sarah because she's working on that level and that's what I've wanted to do. So like, you know, I'm working with adults or the families, right? So we've connected. So like tell the audience to get where you are today, right? Where you're in this position to be like this beam of light for, for people or young people in recovery, right? And their families, like let them know of some of your challenges. So they know like, all right, Miss Sarah here has, she has on the job training. She's been in the trenches for a long time. Like share some of the challenges you've had before you've gotten to this point. You know, it is, it's, I, I was telling my, my daughter and I had a beautiful conversation last night and she was actually, she told me how important the work I do and how good I am at it. Like I was in tears and that was huge for me to hear that from my own child, seeing your own work come to fruition, mm -hmm. you know, but parents, I'm just going to say this, that we, a lot of times, especially those of us out of addiction or whatever you've been through, we parent out of fear. And so it's not that we don't, we just, and you know, I, so I will go back. So I went through abuse as a child. I was molested. Um, I had a, I, my parents were amazing. I'm not throwing them under the bus, but I had my whole identity was unless you look and act a certain way, you're not valuable. So my whole childhood was based on how I looked, my body, and that's how I got attention. And then I became obese. I became bulimic, got into drugs at 14, and I just dove down that rabbit hole. Well, at 21, I had one of those Dr. Phil moments. I'm like, holy shit, what am I doing? I'm pissing my life away. I've been given way too much to be doing. Doing this, you know, and in my addiction, I mean, I have been held against a wall with a guy going, you're in my world now, bitch, I'm going to kill you, gut you and almost burn my face off with a hot iron. You know, I've been pulled over by narcs with half an ounce in my back pocket, you know, like in the trenches that holy shit, you're going to die. You know, I never quit. I, none of that made me stop. And it was getting to the crux of why did I make these choices anyway? You know, I didn't choose to be an addict. I chose to use drugs and became an addict. You know, there's a different path. I didn't go into drugs going, you know, I'm going to do my first line of blow and I'm going to be an addict. Woo -woo! You know, like <laughs> right. I chose to do drugs, but I became an addict. And so my journey, when I went into treatment at 21, I actually went in for bulimia and I wouldn't tell my parents I'd done drugs. My had some family, a lot of history of alcoholism in my family and drug use. And, and I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm bulimic. I didn't tell them I did drugs. And when I went in, I detoxed hard. Like I couldn't stay awake to save my life. I was doing an eight ball a day for probably <laughs> six months to a year. And so when I was in there though, nobody had been through addiction or bulimia, the therapist. 
the fuck can you tell me how to live my life when you've never walked a day in my shoes? Whether they had or hadn't, they obviously couldn't tell me, but I didn't know that back then. And so I was like, screw you. I'm going to work with youth. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to work with youth because at least I understand what they've been through. So literally from pretty much the day I got clean sober and by the grace of God, I came out of there and I've never used again. Um, I switched my habit to fitness and exercise and it saved me. And I'm a control freak by nature. I think most of us are. <laughs> right. For me, I'm like, hey, I got six months clean. I'm going to keep trying this. So in the journey of my 31 years has been obviously massive self-development, self-awareness and failure after failure. But I have always had the mission and vision to help youth and to you know, be open to that. And God has put me in amazing positions. And I went through an extremely difficult divorce with restraining orders and stalking orders in 2007. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I've not been an addict. I could have never handled this. So my growth was, holy shit, this happened to me for a reason. Like, I'm not a victim, you know, and so there's a mindset shift. And then so getting through this horrific, terrifying divorce, holy shit. And then I stepped in like to the position of my dreams um, as a mentor. And I have learned more, honestly, Max, from the kids that I work with than I have from any book, any study. You know, of course, the courses that have been offered have been phenomenal. I mean, I have gained incredible insight as to counseling skills. And but most of my work that I feel like I do as a coach and a sober coach is through the youth and through the adults that I work with. When we actively listen to what other people need, holy crap, no book can teach you that. No. You know, my personal experiences, learning from your experiences, hearing something you might say, being like, oh my gosh, you just said that in a different way. Being open to that is what makes me, I feel very good at what I do. I mean, one of the things, you know, in coaching my clients, like I'll say things, I'm like, oh, that was really good, you know? And, but I, I wouldn't have been able to, to say that about myself a year ago. So the growth is learning growing through my own mistakes, and my own feelings. But one thing I've never lost sight of Max this entire time is my vision and my purpose and my passion. For me, my faith is a huge part of my life, which began really when I went through my terrifying divorce. But my vision and mission and purpose has been helping youth, like helping this community. How do we truly help and meet them where they're at? Well, what I've done is a shit ton of research to figure out, okay, what works. But beyond that, honestly, Max, is like before COVID hit, I'm like, what is the underlying thing that I've seen in my 28 years at that time that has helped anybody I've actually worked with? Like none of the shit that they're getting in treatment is working. And I don't take me wrong. I don't, I do think CBT and DBT and all these skills yeah. You know, am I, they absolutely have their place. And so does talk therapy, EMDR, amazing. But when you're meeting a kid at 15 years old, who's basically been feral, throw them into a setting, you know, where they all of a sudden, like it's in, it, like you said, in 28 days, what the fuck, you're not going to get shit, you know? Right. And so, um, you know, being able to understand and meet the kids where they're at and go, holy crap. Like I, I will say this till I'm blue in the face. I remember the girl, I remember the group. And she was saying, you know, so-and-so keeps telling me just to do this, do this. And she was like, and she looked at me, she goes, Sarah, I can't. And literally those two words shifted everything for me, Max. I'm like, we're all here trying to fix and help and heal the world. All of us who get into this profession, let's be real. We want to help. We're really good at helping others, but a lot of us have our blinders on and we want to help with what we want to help. We want to fix what we honestly haven't fixed in ourselves. And when she said that to me, I'm like, oh my God, these kids can't. Like they literally do not have any tools or skills and most adults don't to do 
anything different, right. you know? And like you said, we put them in a bubble, we put them in treatment and I can do well. What I've learned about the kids that have been institutionalized for basically their whole childhood, they're really good at manipulation. And I hate that yeah. word. They but- know how to get through a system. They can graduate a program in 30 days. They're yeah. very good at those skills but not on healing, you know, it's just a whole, it's, it's a very different thing. So being able to meet the kids where they're at and and really listening, what do these kids need? You know, the two things that I've seen in all the years is one kids getting a job. That is the first and foremost thing that I've ever seen any of the youth I work with lead to either less drug use, um, no drug use, or like, you know, just pot over heroin um, and having all of a sudden getting a home, having healthy relationships is a job. Do you think jobs come in most treatment centers? No. Right. And fortunately, I've been at a couple. That's what their focus was once they met. Huge. You know what I mean? And like you, so fortunately and unfortunately, I had a part in my career where I got to work with teens for six months. Yeah. Right. And it was no fault of mine that I'm not, wasn't there. I was only there for six months. It was the state. Everything was backed up, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I had these three awesome gentlemen, right? They're gentlemen now, but. Two were 16, one was 14. They're all still sober today, but one of them had that, right? He would just like, the guy had so much against him, right? Because not only was his mom, like he was the parent to his mom and you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, that had to change and and he just, but I kept working with him and I let, and I didn't tell him what to do. Like, cause what you're saying no. is what I did is I let him come up. Okay. What is this going to look like for you to stay sober? What is this going to look like <laughs> to be your own man once you graduate here, right? And it was cool this year. I got a message from him. You know, it all started first when he graduated and I left that program. He'd keep in touch and say, hey, Max, I'm doing good, right? So one of the messages I got, I'm still sober and now I'm uh, going to UC Berkeley. Like, wow. Then he graduated from UC Berkeley, right? So then the next message is, and this is, I think, his high school sweetheart and he was with her when he was in treatment. Him and his girlfriend get married, right? And they're both sober. The last message I get is, Hey man, I've been accepted to UC Irvine's medical school. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm what? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, I got the chills. Yeah. And he always, he, one thing that sticks out to me, and I'm sure you get this too, but one thing he said was, thank you for never giving up on me. Right. Oh, man. Always, always pushing me to be better than I thought I was. Right. Cause that's, I do that with adults and I do that with kids. I do that, whatever, you know, even with my own kids. Right. Like you can do better but I'm not going to do it for you. Right. I'm going to be your guide. Right. So those are the the stories that that. keep me going. You know what I mean? So now he's going to UC Irvine to become a doctor. And I'm just like, holy moly. You know what I mean? It is such a beautiful testament. You are the work you're doing. And like you said, those are the stories, you know, I have been, like I said, doing this work a long time, but in the past 10 years, um, when I got divorced, I really dove into this head first and I still have clients that will reach out to me literally like less than a year. I had a client reach out and I hadn't spoken to her in years. She's like, Hey, I'm stuck in Eugene, you know, help. I'm like, I'll come get you. She's like, what? I'm like, I'll come get you. But she thought of me. You know? And so again, the research goes back to if, even if a child has a horrific childhood, abuse, sexual, physical, you know, parents abandon them, whatever. If there's one adult that speaks life into them, that believes in them on some level, you yeah. hear this influencers who've been through shit, they can pinpoint the one person that spoke life into them. Absolutely. And 
person is there through everything, that means the world. Okay, that one person gave me, they believe in me and they ha- they can hang on to that and be a functional, successful, just like this gentleman, part of society. But, you know, and so being a mentor has just been a huge piece of what I do because I very much resonate with this. I'm a three-year-old at heart. Um, exactly right. I'm, you know, to a point now in my career, in my life where I, it, 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 I'm not in it for uh, fixing and feeling like, no, you have to do, you know, what you said is really important. And it's for us adults too, even if you haven't done drugs, if exactly. it doesn't internal and intrinsic reasons, it's not going to stay. It's just like being in rehab and being able to get through in 30 days and then going out in the next day, you know, or you see these kids that are on probation or adults, all, you have this guardrail, like a bowling alley. You've got a guardrail. Like if I do this, I'm going to prison. If I do this, I get my license taken. If I, you know, and so now all of a sudden you have freedom and they're like, holy shit, what do I do? It was normal. It was never because they wanted it. You know, so I've seen kid after kid become adult and just have failure after failure. And I'm like, you know what? I'll be here. I'm not going to enable you. You want to meet? And I consistently meet with people, provide them the resources they need. And then I'll get a call. Hey, I got this amazing job, dude. Can, you know, and I'm like, awesome. I'm like, you know, so I literally am still in touch with so many kids that I've worked with over the years. And all of them have said to me, thank you for same thing. Thank you for being the one person I know I can count on no matter where at, no matter where I've been, you know, and I'll get back in messages. I mean, sometimes, you know, you think God, nobody's hearing me and I've gotten so many back in messages. Hey, I don't know if you'll remember me, but you were the PE teacher here. I really appreciate it. This is how I'm doing. I'm having a kid. I'm like, holy. And like, I'm going to cry because like, that's the thing. That's why we do this. And it's not every day, but it's the, it's my why my why is my own daughters, but my bigger why is because there's a different way to do this. There's just there has to be, I really struggle with the models. A lot of these facilities, I understand that there's things that they have to do. There's parameters. Um, and you know, so I'm not in that position, but at the same time, you know, I've been in facilities where I'm like, Hey, here's some evidence-based research. Here's what, you know, let's, can we try this and just, you know, not willing or these metrics that are such bullshit, you know, to get money or whatever. And, you know, I mean, I have my own views and, and unfortunately <laughs> you the big shifts in the way treatment is. There's a couple centers that I know. Um, my friend Angie Manson runs Elevate Recovery in, in Santa Cruz, and she has a b- bit of a different model and it works. Her numbers are huge. They got an award for like the most clients that have stayed clean and sober for like years and no recidivism because she has a different model and has incorporated fitness in it, you know? And so I think we're going to see a big shift to what actually works, you know, like what does a sustainable recovery look like for people? And what does that, mean? and especially for these young kids, uh, one of my big goals for my nonprofit is I'm, I'm going to open a center. Most of these kids should never go home. It just, unfortunately, a lot of these kids just should not be going back home after their treatment. Um, and again, we can all operate great in a bubble. Parents can come for parent weekend and put on a good face and everything's fine. That's so unrealistic. And then we expect these kids to go home and do well when mom and dad still drink or do drugs or, you know, mom and dad terrified that kid's going to screw up again. So the kid's like, fuck it. You expect me to screw up? I'm going to, you know, so like that bar is set so low. They're like, fine. You calling me an addict? Great. I'll go be an addict, you know? Exactly. And so I where these kids can come, I have like five different business models, like this whole thing that I want to set up. They can stay there for a year and, or any length of time. Like I don't want to put a time frame on it, but it's a place where these kids can come and get development skills and tools to go on and do and live the life of their dreams. You know, right, right now, like surviving fucking, you know, um, COVID. Oh my right. God. 
not going to go down that rabbit hole, but boy, we've seen scary numbers with overdoses, recidivism, suicide. Oh yeah, suicides have gone up. Mental health issues have gone up. But you're right; like these kids need to learn, and even adults, right, that have been doing drugs most of their lives. Like the biggest thing they tell me is, "I need to get a job." Like they need a sense of purpose. And whatever that means, whatever that looks like to them, you know, we got to help them get there. Right. But it's not just here, do our groups be good. And then when you graduate, you go look for a job. Right. So, so like you, some of the best facilities I've worked for always had a job search program in it. Right. We help you. Right. Because you know, as well as I know, there's some adults who have never worked because their whole job was getting high. Dealing. Right. (laughs) That, that was your sales job. Right. Yeah. So, and then you're talking, if you're talking teens, right, they've never really had a chance to go get a job, right? So, I mean, you and I can go on forever and ever about this, right? But we do see eye to eye on a lot of the issues we see, right? So, well, and with teens, I just want to say like these, a lot of some, not, well, yeah, a lot of these kids that I see come out, um, my goal is to work with them before they get out, get their resume done, I'll make the calls, here's hiring. So they have that transition. Unfortunately, it doesn't always translate in the facilities you work at. So, you know, whatever. But a lot of these kids I've seen go and get a job, but then they come home and they're proud of what they're doing. Their parents take their money. Their parents aren't working. They still belittle them. So they're like, fuck it, I'll never be anything anyway. And they give up. Right. And and that's where that mindset, like you said, if that's what they were raised in, they're going to go, okay, you want me to be that? Guess what I'm going to be? Now I'm going to be really good at it. And I'm going to make yeah. you suffer for it. That's, you know what I mean? Because I've had that mindset. Okay, you want to tell me I'm not good enough? Then I'm going to show you how good Watch I'm Watch me. Watch yeah. me be the best exactly. organic ever. It's self-fulfilling Absolutely. prophecy. You know, yeah. we just don't address that. We're not looking at emotional intelligence. for Even if you don't do drugs and alcohol in our school system, our school system is fucked up. But, you know, we're not looking. I've always said, I want my kids to be emotionally intelligent kids. I want them to be able to handle failure with grace and learn how to come back from a shitty relationship or being fired or the realities of life and i this world right now is so busy wanting to put everybody in a fucking bubble and we're so offended that it's much worse you know and then people have been on these damn things for phones that's a phone you know we've been i'm i'm guilty but through covid we have zero attention span zero and so we're creating generation now Again, that's now wired in our DNA. And so we're creating generations of kids that have zero attention span, zero focus, zero work ethic. And what does that look like? I mean, addiction is going to just go through the freaking roof because we need a new high. The phone, the likes, the want. It's a dopamine hit. Okay, well, now I need more. I need more. I need more. I need more. And that doesn't work. So then they go do drugs like during COVID and like, you know, I'm sure there, but the cops weren't arresting anybody. They didn't arrest anybody. And these kids were like, oh, fuck yeah, I can get away with whatever. And the police were like, <laughs> hands tied. Like, we're not allowed to do anything. Right. Unless it's like a serious crime. And so these kids that I know that were using pot, Maybe a pill here and there, like escalated, like went to meth and shit's cut with fentanyl and like bad things were happening, but there is zero accountability and they want to keep these kids and the adults out of the jails because of COVID. I don't think that that's the place for rehabilitation. I get it, but there's zero accountability. Like, right. That's one thing I've learned in my recovery and and doing what I do is there's no accountability, right? (laughs) So you know what I mean? Like we're going to release them from jails or prisons or even treatment facilities and go, okay, now you're on your own. Good luck. Basically it's, we'll pray for you. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Go yeah. to out. Yeah. Go to outpatient. And there's usually so many barriers 
That's why my nonprofit, I created a mobile fitness trailer because I saw, okay, what are the barriers? Well, they don't have the staff. They don't have a staff who's trained and they don't have the ability to transport people. Like it's a time. So I'm like, okay, meet the needs of the people that I want to serve, you know? And then, so we set up IOPs, we set up intensive outpatients for our clients. Well, then what if they can't drive? What if they don't? Most adults who just get out, they don't have their driver's license. They've lost it. They need a bus pass. Are they really going to take like, there's so many barriers. And that's where the mentorship piece was amazing because I could go into the homes and I could go pick the kids up, you know? And so that's what I still continue to do. I'm working with the kids I do and the adults right now, most of it's online, but you know, anything moving forward. And you and I have talked about this is, you know, I've always wanted to put on a youth event, a youth and parent event, and it'll be fun. Like I'm big into, you know, anything boot camp style workout, you know, like <laughs> money and it out. But I'm like, there needs to be a follow-up. So we're going to teach them the skills, but then 30 days, we're going to follow up. And then one of us is going to go into the damn house within 30, 60, 90 days and meet with you where you're at and continue to work with you through that. Because so many of us can go to these events, go rah, 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 come home and go, oh, wait, what did I learn last week? Yeah. You know, that's a big piece. I'm sure it is for you too. in a facility is that aftercare, that that follow-up is so imperative because like I said, you and I both know we can all do great in a bubble, but then we come to the triggers. What if you walk into a home where there's abuse? What if you walk into where moms, dads still smoke pot or they grow pot and they're not willing to do anything different? You know, what if you come home to your spouse who's like still angry and bitter and, you know, and now all of a sudden you're like, your brain's like, oh yeah, I remember what we do when we're triggered, you know? And so there's just so much more work that needs to be done and a community. We need, oh my God, Max, I just checked out this called Recovery Cafe yesterday. It's in Medford, Oregon. It's based out of Seattle and they're across the country, but the model, uh, amazing people, the um, Mendenhall family out of Medford did one there. There's only one in Oregon right now, Uh, but it's a community to help people in recovery. You come, you get a free meal, coffee. They have these recovery circles. And it's all about vision and where you're going and what you want to do. And it's just this, inc- and I'm like, how the fuck did I not know about this? There is, I, we I'm glad community. you're telling me about it. Yeah. And that's one of the things I know you see is when we get off drugs and alcohol, I can't associate with the same people I did. I literally couldn't go back to the, my old stomping grounds for over a year. I'm like, I will use, can't do it. And especially working with teens in these small towns, they're like, oh, I can go to a, a bonfire and I'll be fine. I'm like, oh, God bless your heart. You know, I'm like, right. okay. I mean, I'm not going to stop them. They, they, and then that's just not realistic. So having a community where people can come together in vision and where they want to go and moving forward and have the resources and have um, a fitness program. Holy shit. That's what's going to create sustainable change in our case. Absolutely. Right. And they need that support. They need that accountability. Right. Because that's what I always ask my clients. I go, you're doing great in here, but excuse my language. What the fuck are you going to do when you're home? (laughs) And none of us are there. Not, not Max is not in your ear going, what are you doing? What are you doing today? You know what I mean? Or Sarah, like, you know, what did you do for your recovery today? Right. Like they look at me like, yeah, you're overwhelming me. And I'm like, oh, baby. Right. So they're like, we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about how I know. we're going to change this whole thing, which we are, you and I are like, we are oh, yeah. not that if, but when, right? No, it's just when. Yeah. So like in doing what you do. So I like to ask my client or my clients, sorry, my guests <laughs> questions, right? Like we did before. So I want you to let the audience know, right? Cause you've been in the trenches for so long. Like, and if you're like me, there's times you've had those clients where you're just, you're such in fear. Like, you know, when they leave that bubble, it's over, right? You yep. know what I mean? Like, even though how yeah. doesn't matter how hard we worked with them, how hard they're in such 
they're, you know what I mean? They need that extended stay or they need that support when they leave. Like what is fearless? How do you overcome your fears and what does fearless mean to you? And as how does that show up in your life? It's such a, I love, it's just such a brilliant question for us to even look at, you know, what does fear less? I mean, it's broken down. You fear right. less. One of the big things that I focus on and work on with my clients and I have for years is ripping the fucking labels off. We label at risk, alternative schools, addiction, recovery, addict, like everything is labels. And so when we're fearless, fear and excitement take up the same space in the brain. So if you can shift, you know, instead of being scared of that job interview, dude, I'm so excited. What the fuck if I make a shit ton of money? What if it goes right? You know, so being fearless is being willing to step into the unknown, like taking a step off and not seeing the whole staircase with a smile on your face going, fuck yeah, there I go. Let's go. <laughs> right. Or jumping out Why of a plane at 18,000 feet and not being able to see the earth, right? You do it anyway. You just do it. And, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, and what also, again, going back to those labels, embrace being fearful, embrace that. You know what? Yeah, I got some fear and it's justified, but that's the rear view is smaller for a reason. So many of us live in, you know, there's a lot of programs out there that focus on what you've done wrong. Look at your past, focus on what you've done wrong. Let's, let's yeah. say like, and so you stay in that. When you continue to labor yourself, I live in fear, I'm an addict, you stay right there. So being able literally to go, okay, here's my windshield. I am going to fear less. Fear isn't going to go away. It's not going to be gone in a day. Hmm. I have fear. Everybody has fear. Um, we also like to tell people that they're wrong for feeling certain things or, you know, I mean, to me, addiction is literally, it was a maladaptive coping skill. Fuck. I, it was my solution at the time, but fearing less means going, okay, I still have fear, but you know what? I'm going to take that step anyway. Right. Oh shit. Now I fear a little less. Okay, well, you know what? I could do that tomorrow. Right. So it's micro, it's like a micro less of fear, you know? So, right. See, that's like why I tell clients, same thing. Right. So I tell the clients, like whether, I like if you were sitting here and I go, well, look, Miss Sarah has 31 years. I have almost 18, right? We've just practiced that doing it regardless of the fear for a little bit yep. longer than you, but you're just like us. So, you know what I mean? You may be earlier in your journey. It's just taking that step, right? Because some of the people that we know mutually, like Chris Whitehead, I always mention this because we had a great conversation about that when I did his interview. And he says, How will we ever overcome fear? He said, Probably not. But it's trusting that process that helps us become fear, like you said, fearless. And we just do it anyway, whether we're in fear or not, we just do it. And then and trust the process and, and great things start to happen, right? And, well, and um, being able to shift that, you know, just simply for me, a lot of my work I do is around verbiage and how we talk because our physiology, our psychology determines our physiology. So when he said, when, you know, when you talk about, will we ever overcome? Why do you want to overcome fear? Like to me, I'm like, let's shift that fucking step it. Like fear is this beautiful, powerful place to be because that means that you're doing something. You yeah, are now- <laughs> so if you can like yes. wear that, you know, and like I said, even with a smile, just that half smile, it's a skill. It changes your brain chemistry. Your brain's like, fuck, we got this, you know, wow. so being able and to, that, you know, with a smile, your brain's like, we got this. So right. it's, 
changing that narrative. And that's perfect because right, I'm even learning that, like yeah. how to change oh, my, the way I the way I talk to myself or the way I sing, say things. Like you caught me a couple of times. I said, well, if we're going to make it to executive, yeah. for instance, you said, wait, 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 Max. No, no, we will be <laughs> executive, right? <laughs> So you're right. But like, we don't even notice that about ourselves sometimes, right? And it doesn't matter if you're new or have multiple years like we do, we still have to practice how we talk to ourselves. How do we talk to people so that it's a more positive, like you said, like, fuck, yeah, fuck fear. I'm going to do it anyway, right? Because you and I and I know the biggest fear we had is I got to get what I got to get sober. What are you talking about? I got to give up my (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing that, right? So that that's awesome, Sarah. So another question I love to ask my guests is right, knowing I wrote a book, and you know, I wrote Fearless Happiness. Yeah. I put a why. Knowing that I put the why in there, what is happiness for you? And how does that show up in your life? Uh, it's such, you know, that's such a great topic because it's just, it's really, um, I think, been under a microscope for a few years now, especially with COVID hitting. We've had some pretty hard hits as a country, as a nation. Oh fuck, I don't even know. We've had to pivot and adapt or you're going to get left behind. Like, it's just that simple. And you got a choice at the end of the day. So what is happiness to me? Happiness to me, honestly, is episodic. Like happiness is a tangible thing. Dude, I just got this new car. Oh my God, I'm talking to this guy. He's really fucking hot. I'm so happy today. (laughs) Or, Or things like that. Like I'm, you know, all these new possibilities. But to me, joy is sustainable. Joy is a state that is sustainable every single day of my life. When I look to achieve happiness, I'm going to hit a wall because there's no end goal to happiness to me. Happiness is, is a, is not a place. It's not a destination. You see, this as a country. When I get that car, when I get that house, when I get that wife, I get that job. When I get that promotion, I'll then be happy. Guess right. fucking what? If you're not happy now with what you have, you will never be happy. You are saying to yourself, I am not happy now. And the only time I will be. Yeah. But then guess what? When you get that goal, that tangible goal, now you're going to want more. So you're constantly chasing this high. And that's what we do as humans. We chase that high. So when I focus on happiness, it's, I try to, and I'm not always good at it, but focus on joy. What brings me joy today? And just shifting that word again, I'm in joy. Like every day I just, no matter what goes to shit, it's, Max, you know this, when you, once you know shit, you can't unknow it. So like when I get on the pity, (laughs) like I sabotage, I'm like, Sarah, and I can't say like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you do. You dumbass. you know what to do, you know? So being able to be happy to me is truly just stepping into, like you said, the fear or embracing all of that. But honestly, what brings me like, not just pure joy, but like just over overflowing happiness is seeing others succeed is when I see somebody stop message me or stop doing a negative behavior and whatever it is. And they make a choice. That's the best for them. That I cannot tell you how happy that makes me like that makes me happy. You know, like even subtle things when my kids take out the garbage and I don't ask, do you know how fucking happy that makes me? (laughs) I didn't have to ask you, but when I see others succeed, Oh, that gives me, that fills my heart. It fills my soul. That gives me happiness. Right. And that's why we're helpers, right? That's why God put us in the position because he knows that in the long run, that's what actually makes us happy. Seeing someone succeed, seeing someone do what they say they're going to do, seeing someone stay clean and sober. Right. And you're right. Labels, getting rid of labels. Right. Because I'm always... You know, I'm an alcoholic, but you know, I've yeah. just been because of years of meetings, but now yep. I know that that doesn't define me. Right. That doesn't nope. like, it's the things I do on a daily basis to help others. Right. Yep. And my family and myself 
is what defines me. Right. So am I doing the right thing when nobody's watching? So yep. that's, that's awesome. Right. Because that's why I put the why in happiness. It's because it comes from us, right? Like Sarah can't make me happy. My wife can't make me happy. My, well, I take it back. My grandkids can make me very happy. They're just the shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But anything else <laughs> right. outside of me does not make me happy. Right. I have to yes. do that. So love that. And, um, but you know, I, this has been a great episode. I love it. It's and, um, so good because we have a lot of the same vision and heart and, you know, a truly aligned, you know, where you want to go. And it's a difficult space to navigate and everybody's going to have a different opinion and absolutely you know, what, what they want or what they see. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, you got to make choice for you. You choose to live or you choose to die. And Absolutely. you can take the step back or take a step forward. Like, honestly, when you break it down, I'm not saying it's simple, but it is. It's it's simple, but it's not easy. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Let the audience know, like, where they can reach you. If they wanted to work, say they have a teen, you know, and the family's struggling, like, let the audience know one, where they can reach you and how they can reach you. Awesome. Yeah, I I have. So if you go, my main platform right now is uh, Sarah Vincent on Facebook. Just send me a DM and I will get you connected. I can send you a link. We can hop on a call. Um, we can just talk right in there so I can get to learn more about what you need. That's my main platform. Honestly, I have multiple groups um, for parents that are navigating the teenage years. I've got a, um, I'm the lead sober coach for a program called Beyond Sober. So if you want more information about that, again, Again, message me and I will get you connected in the right vein of what, you know, we need to talk about. And again, please, if you just need resources, you know, in your community, I'll look it up. I don't care if you live here. I can help. I, you know, I mean, it's sometimes we're so crippled in fear that it's like, oh my God, what do we, I can't do anything. So reach, like reach out on the back end. Max has been there. I've been there, done that. And that's what, that's what brings me joy is, okay, how can I connect you with the resources to help get you where you want to go? Because when we're in that state, we can't think right. So mainly Facebook Messenger. I post in Facebook every day. Um, I try to do resources. I have live um, interviews on there that I do again with more resources, more information. Um, you know, I'm all about solution focus. So go ahead and find me on there and then I will get you connected into the right groups based on what you need. Awesome. Follow my nonprofit, Soul Purpose. Like, how did I forget about that? So, I, <laughs> I was going to say, what about your nonprofit? Soul, yeah, Soul Purpose. Um, I also have a Facebook page for that, but I'm doing most of um, anything to do with my nonprofit on my main page right now. I have a huge push. I'm just going to say it. Fundraiser to get a new trailer made. Um, I take my trailer into the juvenile departments, the facilities, into treatment centers, into schools. Um, and now that schools are back open this year, and the need is so great for these kids. It's more than ever. We need to meet these kids where they're at. It is It is a pivotal time for our youth, to be very honest, uh, from a mental health point and everything. So that's my big push right now. But my nonprofit is um, Life Soul, S-O-U-L, Purpose.org. If you put that in your notes, that would be amazing. But that's my, that's my nonprofit. That link will take you to my page, tell you about who I am, what I do. And then also has a calendar link in there if you want to hop on a call through there as well. So awesome. Yes, I will put that in my notes. Uh, as you know, I'm technically talented. So I'm learning how to do notes for all this stuff. But um, this is I'm why I there. do lives on my Facebook page. And I don't have a podcast because I'm technically challenged, technologically challenged. <laughs> so give the audience some final parting thoughts and like about you, what you do and how you 
love to help others? Such a big question. Big thing. You know, I posted something the other day about, you know, so many people are seeking to find their purpose. Like we, you know, what's my purpose? What is my purpose? And it's so much about doing what you love. Like, you know, and I was listening to, it was a doctor, Anna Lemke, and she was saying, you know what, go pick up a piece of trash outside, go help your neighbor, like meet the needs where you're at. To me, the biggest thing you can do is to be of service to someone else. That is the, that is the, that will bring you the most abundance. It will bring you the most peace when you get out of your own way, because we have so much going on with our own traumas and background, you know, and all of that, that when we truly just are in service out of our heart, and we honestly, one of the other things, biggest thing is be in service to others and listen, don't listen to respond, really listen, people are hurting. And, you know, taking the time to literally reach out and say, how are you help your old neighbor with, you know, their lawn or taking in their groceries, go volunteer at, um, an animal shelter. Animals are extremely therapeutic. Um, you know, do volunteer work. That's how you're going to find your passion. That's going to help you find your purpose when you're like, oh my gosh, I freaking love being around the animals. Yeah. Okay. What do I do around this? It will, it will invite itself into your life when you go out and really find that it could be building homes. You're like, you know what? I want to work for Habitat for Humanity. Like I freaking love this. There's so many ways that I don't think we think we have a purpose. And that's, that's what happens when you hear I'm bored. No, you just don't have a passion right now. You know, right. you don't know what your purpose is. And it's scary because especially out of addiction, we don't know who the fuck we are. No, <laughs> are. I don't know. No, you know, but for me, by the grace of God, I figured it out in there. I'm like, that's it. This is my mission. I'm going to help because nobody understands me, you know? Right. So came to me, but it has shifted over the years and morphed and the right people have come in my life, but be of service. People are hurting, you know, your hurt's not any worse than my hurt. And, you know, oh. division in this country. And to me, honestly, I don't care what space you're in. Go and help someone else today, whether that literally means buying them a coffee, whether that means picking up a piece of trash, whether that means sending a voice message, do something. And in that, you will find, you will find your purpose 100%. And each one of you has a purpose. Absolutely. Your message and each one of you has a beautiful light to shed and someone's life will be changed by your message. Don't ever think that that's not true. I couldn't agree with you more, right? It's what my mentors taught me. They said, I don't care if your yeah. life is shit, go help somebody. If you still think it's shit, help somebody else. If you still think it's shit, help somebody else. Because what you'll do, what you'll find is when you're helping people, you'll find like, oh, wow, my life is really not that bad. So exactly. thank you, Sarah, for coming on and being a guest. What a great episode. Look forward to speaking with you thank in you. September. It's going to be amazing. Look forward to working with you. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of this podcast. And um, yeah, until next time, Sarah, because I'm sure we'll do another episode. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, so Max. Much. Thank you for being fearless. <laughs>